0: I'm going to share a few scriptures tonight i have got a few slides as well but uh, before i get to the slides i want to read a chapter pretty much a whole chapter mark 13 mark 13 anyone immediately know what mark 13 is all about Hmm? signs of christ's return Uh, it's all about the end of the world mark 13 uh the great tribulation and so on and so on and uh there are actually, uh, Jesus, of course, gives lots of uh, information and instruction. He gives all sorts of practical advice as well as spiritual advice. Uh, he does lots of miracles, lots of things are uh, uh, happening when he's ministering for those three and a half years, almost 2,000 years ago now. Um, and, uh, every now and again he, uh, he, he launches into a bit of a, a description of what the world's going to be like at the end. And, uh, we have, Mark chapter 13 is one of those chapters. Uh, There's another one. Who knows the other gospel where there's another one of these chapters almost the same about the end of the world and the signs of the times and wars and earthquakes and rumors of wars and, you know, um, Matthew 24, yes. Matthew 24. What's the other one? There's three. There's one more. Luke 21, that's correct. And those three chapters uh, give us all sorts of information. Now, perhaps you've only got one chapter in each gospel because back when the people were reading this back in you know, 30 AD or 40 AD, whatever it was. Um, it wasn't quite as relevant, but you'll notice that I actually use it a fair bit because I'm convinced that it is very relevant as we start to look around at it, the world we are now surrounded by. Uh, because I believe this stuff, most of this stuff, is actually quite applicable to uh, the end of the age in which we currently exist. But anyway, let's read a couple of scriptures and you'll get the gist of what I'm saying. And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples saith unto him, to him, Master, what manner of stones and what manner of, what buildings are here? And Jesus answered and said to him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the mount of olives over against the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all these things shall be fulfilled? Uh, the other Gospels actually give other questions that sort of are similar, but one of them is phrased very strongly. It says, uh, tell us when the end of the world shall be, or words that affect the end of the world. It describes the end of the world. And Jesus gives this as part of his answer. And Jesus answering them began to say, take heed lest any man deceive you. For many shall come in my name. Saying I am Christ and shall deceive many, and in all three Gospels, the very first sign that Jesus gives of the end of the world, the end of the age, whatever you want to call it, is that many will come in His name, saying He is Christ and shall deceive many. And uh, sometimes people say, "Is that is that like someone someone coming along saying I am Jesus Christ?" No, they're coming in Jesus' name. They're calling themselves. Christians and saying that Jesus is Christ and deceiving many and uh, talk about a, a strange first sign um, you can just imagine the apostles because there's only four guys listening to this story remember the four guys listening to this story did you notice who it was it's only four it's not the twelve apostles Peter, James, John, and correct Peter James John and Andrew yeah Craig did you have something to do outside for a minute yeah. <laughs> So far, you've answered three out of four questions, Greg. You're doing very, very well. You're almost past the material there. Goodness, mate. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, saying, So they get a private uh, explanation about the end of the world. That's what this is. It's a private explanation. Not many people get it. Um, and he says, uh, Many should come in my name, saying, I'm Christ. And I'm just trying to visualize if I was Peter, James, John, and Andrew sitting there in the room where you're surrounded by Jews, as far as you can travel for, you know, say, four or five days, you know, you might have some Romans and perhaps they have some of their strange religions and what have you. I'm just sort of thinking to myself, you mean there's going to come a time when Christianity is so well known? Because they don't even have a name for it yet. It's not even called Christianity for about another 15 years. Uh, you can just sort of, you mean Christianity coming in the name of Jesus? You mean it'll be really, really popular at some stage in the future? that's right it'll be really quite popular on the face of the earth there are something like a bit more than one and a half billion people who claim to be some sort of a christian with about almost one and a half billion ways of describing christianity to you uh, all sorts of different strange ways that you know from the you know the sublime to the ridiculous and uh Certainly if you're looking for God, looking for the Lord Jesus Christ, it can be like looking for a tree in a forest sometimes, can't it? Because, you know, there's so much of it out there. In every radio station you turn on perhaps or website you go to, if you type in, you know, God or Holy Ghost or Jesus or something or other, you get thousands and thousands, well, millions of hits, won't you? Someone told me there's 22,000 Christian denominations in Australia. I don't know if that's true or accurate or not. That will do me for the moment, but I get the point that Jesus is saying, many will come in my name, saying I am Christ, and shall deceive many. The astonishing thing is that Christianity is actually quite a simple, the core of Christianity is a very, very simple experience. Jesus died for our sins, rose from the dead, gives us the Holy Spirit, we speak in other tongues. That is the simplicity of Christianity. The tragedy is that people have sort of uh, omitted that, And they've developed all sorts of ideas which are a bit appealing to different people. Starting orphanages, how about starting schools, what about uh, getting involved with the Biafrans, perhaps some of the more um, strident ones, get involved with supporting the LGBTQIRST groups or perhaps the whales or something. Who saw the whale shark in Rockingham this week? How interesting is that? They've never seen one down quite that far south before. something's happening to the weather. I saw two tagged ones out the other side of Rottenness, but I've not seen one quite in there. Very interesting. Um, they caught a, um, what was a, um They caught a mud crab in Albany. Mud crab. You know, a, a tropical mud crab in Albany. Something strange is happening to the weather. And, of course, Jesus says, uh, Yes, they'll come in my name, saying, I'm Christ, to deceive me. Verse 7. We're never get through this, are we? Uh, and when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, be not troubled, for such things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. So, there's another one: false Christianity, wars, rumors of wars. Verse eight: For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be earthquakes in diverse places. Um, you know, we've had, we believe, the four largest earthquakes in history over the last 100 years. We're not, can't be 100% sure, but we think so. They're called mega earthquakes they rate over nine on the moment scale that's massive absolutely massive it's a kind of a logarithmic scale and it just means that's a massive massive lump of uh, dirt moving around Um, earthquakes in diverse places Uh, and there should be famines and troubles these are the beginnings of sorrows famines the, the scientists tell us we've had famine by definition since about the 1970s just not enough food or the number of people, okay. Uh, famines in uh, around the world, troubles. There's an interesting word, it's only used once in the Bible. Troubles, it's of course the Greek is the language of the New Testament. The Greek word that's used here is the word meaning is the word tarake, it means stirring. It's the idea is to stir a pot, stir water, stir liquid, okay. Stirring, and the uh, actual meaning, sort of extended from that, is disturbances, the roiling of mobs. That's an old-fashioned expression, the roiling of mobs. We saw that two weeks ago on TV, didn't we? Mobs outside the Capitol building in America, their parliament being overrun by mobs, sedition or tumult. Uh, only used once in the Bible and that's it just here. Uh, there'll be troubles, the roiling of mobs. Uh, mob insurrection, mob violence is what it means. These are the beginnings of sorrows. Uh, sorrows there is the Greek word odin, it means uh, contractions, labor pains. Uh, and just like you you go through these processes of dramas all happening and then there's a, a bit of peace and quiet for a while, you know. And then Donald Trump gets into power and then there's a bit of peace and quiet for a while. You know, all these sort of strange things that happen. Trouble with the Russians and then there's peace and quiet for a while. Then trouble with the Chinese and then there's peace and quiet for a while. And there's trouble with our trade and then there's peace and quiet for a while. And like labor pains you get a sudden surge of of trouble and pain and then it seems to ease off for a little while and the bible is actually painting a little picture here word picture and that is that this earth is going to bring forth it's going to give birth to another entire creation it's us being raised up to meet the lord in the air um we go on if you will in that Same verse, verse 9 there. But take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and in the synagogues you shall be beaten, and you shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what you shall speak, neither do premeditate, but whatever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. But it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. So if you're ever in a situation where you're confronted with someone fairly aggressive or difficult to deal with because of the gospel, the Bible promises that the Holy Spirit will give you the right things to say at that moment. And it may not be in front of some sort of you know, judicial inquiry or something, or religious inquiry as is implied here. It may just be dealing with your relatives at the Christmas function. Or perhaps a handling, you know, you know your your work situation, your colleagues at work, when uh, they decide to have a shot at you or something. He says the Holy Ghost will give you what you have to say. Don't worry. Is the message. Verse 12. Now brothers shall betray brother to death, and the father the son, and children shall rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And I often think about this, that firstly he says there that there'll be betrayals, even family betrayals, uh, and throughout history, of course, we're not talking about right now necessarily, but throughout history, in different cultures, there's certainly been people betrayed because of their faith in the Lord. We know that's happened right through history. He talks about also how you'll be hated of all men for my namesake. That just seems so counterintuitive, doesn't it? You and I, we get filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, we stop partying and raging. We stop, you know, uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other naughty things we used to do before we got saved. We we stop our drinking and our smoking. We stop all the things that make us sort of antisocial. We become good citizens. We pay the taxes we're supposed to pay. We see, we drive our car even a little bit better than we used to before we got saved. Well, don't want to take that too much, really. But anyway, the point, of course, is that we become better people. And the irony is that even though we've become better people, we seem to be more criticised for it. He says here, you'll be actually hated of all men for my name's sake. So you live this good life for the Lord that you have found, and as a consequence, you'll actually be um, not appreciated and, and criticised for it. But he says, he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. The secret in this is to persevere and persevere and persevere. It's, it's like, uh, you know, just buckle up and just stay in the ride. That's the message here. Don't unbuckle. Buckle up and stay in the ride. There'll be times when it seems to go up a little bit, times that it goes down a little bit, but you've got to hang on. Verse 14. But when you shall see that the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in where it ought not, that him that readeth understand, then let them that be in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him that is on the housetop go not down into the house, neither enter therein, to take anything out of his house. And let him that is in the field not turn back to, for to take up his garment. But woe to them that are with child, and them that give suck in those days, and pray ye that your flight be not in the winter. For in those days shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of the creation, which God created unto this time. Uh, sorry, under the stone neither shall be. Verse 20. And except the Lord has shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake whom he has chosen, he has shortened these days. Uh, now I need to stop just there for a moment. Remembering one of the questions that was asked of Jesus, back in verse 1, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings these are. Seest thou these great buildings, There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Tell us when these things shall be. So one of the questions was, can you describe for us what the circumstances will be in which Jerusalem, which is where they're all standing, when they're talking about this, when all the stones are going to be thrown down, when every stone is going to be pulled apart? And Jesus points out in verse 14, you're looking for the prophecy, the fulfillment of the prophecy by Daniel the prophet. The Abomination of Desolations. Now, that's a talk on its own. It'll take too long, but I'll simply give you a snapshot of it. It's a description of the end of Jerusalem as they knew it in 70 AD. The Romans had been attacked by the Jewish people for a period of about four years. There were wars between the Jews and the Romans, and the Romans got uh, more and more frustrated as time went by. And so in 70 AD, they surrounded Jerusalem at Passover and, uh, uh, kept everybody in and the Jews in Jerusalem slowly starved to death before they eventually rushed out. And it was a, indeed, a very, very terrible time. Um, and Jesus uh, points out this is what Daniel's predicting and this marks, uh, the, the end of Jerusalem, as you know. And what happened was, of course, for those that maybe haven't sort of heard much about it before, Uh, the Roman soldiers under uh, General Titus, who was Emperor Vespasian's son, he was the general at Jerusalem when his father got taken off to Rome to become the emperor. He uh, enforced a uh, siege against Jerusalem. Uh, It sort of went on and off for quite a while, but it really sort of hardened up in 70 AD. And over a period of about four or five months Many of the Jews in Jerusalem starved to death. Many escaped, uh, were simply caught by the Romans outside. And they say that on any given day, 500 escaped Jews were crucified around the city of Jerusalem. Just to remind everybody inside, this was their fate if they persevered. So 500 a day they were crucifying. They'd catch them in the valleys and what have you. And eventually after that siege of about four or five months or so, uh, within the city people were dying of starvation. Starvation had long since set in. And there was a, only a tiny army of Romans, not like there was a lot of them. I think there's about 36,000 or something. Uh, and there were about three million Jews apparently crushed into Jerusalem. The Romans came in at the very end there, uh, slowly wall by wall beat them down until eventually they got to where the people were and they... They killed 1.1 million Jews. They uh, captured 70,000 younger Jews, you know, main, mainly men and what have you, sent them off to become sort of tiger fodder in circuses all over the Roman Empire uh, and many others as well were, we're, we're hurt and what have you. Uh, the Christians, though, had been warned by Jesus in another place that when you see Jerusalem, surrounded by armies, run for your lives don't take any of your clothes, don't go back inside, don't worry about what you've left behind, just get out. And history records they actually escaped. They went north up to a place called Palla. And in Pella they were able to uh, set themselves up again and begin Christianity from their point of view again. Uh, But that's another story for another day. So it was a massive, massive massacre of the Jewish people. And uh, this because the Romans decided they were so fed up with the Jews, when they got to Jerusalem... The soldiers, uh, they simply tore down every single building, in definitely including the temple because there was gold in the temple. They tore down every single building in Jerusalem. They left four little towers. That's all they left. And the entire rest of Jerusalem was gone. Everything you see on the photos of Jerusalem today was not there in 71 AD. It was gone. Uh, In fact, the historians record that when you walk past Jerusalem in those days, you would not know that there was even a city once there. That's how much it had been destroyed. As Jesus said, not one stone upon another. Jesus gives about 14 different prophecies of what's going to happen, and they all happened exactly as he described, exactly 40 years after the crucifixion, which I'll talk about one other time. So this is the end of this little section here, and he says, I hope you don't have to run away from Jerusalem if it's cold or hot or you're feeding babies or something or other. Verse 21, and then if anyone shall say to you, lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, believe him not. You can imagine the Christians running out of Jerusalem and then somebody saying, I think the Lord's given me a revelation. He's over there in Egypt or he's over there in Sicily or something or other and uh, jesus said don't believe it it ain't true it ain't going to happen so he warned them in advance verse 22 the false christs and false prophets shall arise and show sow signs and wonders to seduce if it were possible even the elect and you can imagine after that time period in 70 a.d there would have been people trying to gather up the christians and sort of uh marshal them and so forth and take advantage of them but he says don't believe them verse 23 but take ye heed Behold, I have foretold you all things. He says, Listen to what I'm telling you, because I'm actually giving you advance warning on the critical things that are going to happen in your future. So that's 30 AD to 70 AD. We've got lots of information there. Verse 3024. But of those days after the tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give a light. The stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of earth to the uttermost part of heaven. And uh, all of a sudden we launch into a description here of Jesus coming back physically to earth. Physically coming back to earth. Jesus comes back. The Bible teaches us elsewhere with with countless angels. He comes back with the power of God. The Bible says, every eye shall see him. It says every knee shall bow to him. It says people will be judged the world over. It says he comes back as king of kings and lord of lords. Uh, In Matthew's gospel it describes how uh, all the nations of the earth shall mourn when they see the sign of Jesus coming and so on. It says there will be a great sound of a trumpet. It says the trumpet will sound louder and louder and louder around the earth. It says to be a great voice of an archangel as people are warned Jesus is coming. It says the powers of heaven will be shaken. Uh, it says the, uh, uh, we'll read a couple of others in a moment, but in this one here he says in verse 24, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give a light. The stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Now, we don't know all the technicalities of this. You're trying to sort of visualize how this is all going to happen. But um, the, the the sun darkens. It is interesting, by the way, that the nuclear scientists, the, the military nuclear scientists, tell us that if there were ever a nuclear war, one of the very first things that would happen would be there's so much muck thrown into the air by atom bombs that it would actually block out the light of the sun. That's interesting. It says in another place that the moon will look red like the colour of blood. That's mentioned in the Bible about eight or nine times. Uh, It describes also that the shining of the stars will be withdrawn. Uh, This one says the stars are going to fall, but in the other different versions it talks about how the stars will no longer be seen. They won't shine. Uh, So all of this sort of stuff happening above you. Now we've just leapt, though, from the events of 70 AD down to another era later on. Luke 21 gives us a little bit more information. We won't look it up. But Luke 21 talks about how the uh, Jerusalem will be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Who remembers when that happened in history? 1917. There was a period of 2,520 years when Jerusalem was overrun by foreign powers And as predicted in the Bible in many places, it would be set free again. And that happened in 1917. It predicts the year, even predicts the day and the month it would happen. predicted the method by which it would happen as birds flying. I mean, we all remember World War I, those primitive-looking aircraft and so forth. Um, And so we've got an interesting link in Luke 21 from destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD through to the 20th century. But... In Mark, he doesn't give us any particular link, but I just want to read on for a moment. Verse 27 again. Uh, he shall send his angels and gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the he- earth to the uttermost part of heaven. And uh, what he's describing, of course, is when Jesus comes back, It says we're going to be raised in the twinkling of an eye. It says mortal will put on immortality. It says uh, that we're, we have an earthly body and we're going to get a heavenly body. The Bible describes how weakness will be swallowed up in power. Uh, Jesus, when his body was uh, morphed into his next body, he, he simply uh, appeared in the middle of a room. He disappeared out of rooms. He ate hamburgers, you know what I mean. Uh, he sort of disappeared again. He got faster back from Emmaus to Jerusalem than the two guys running could do. All sorts of amazing things. Cast your net on the right side and they caught 153 fishes. I think we all remember the stories. And his last little uh, uh trick was uh, as they beheld him low, he was lifted up in front of their eyes and a cloud received him out of their sight. I want one of them bodies. I seriously want one of those bodies. And Jesus says that's what you're going to get. It says you're going to be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It says we've born the image of the earthly and we shall bear the image of the heavenly. First, the Bible says, is the earthly. The second is the heavenly. So he says here, this is what's going to happen, the gathering together of the elect, the end of the age, as we know Jesus coming back to rule and to reign, the the entire earth changing, by the way. All the governments will be uh, simply abolished as a consequence. It says they shall not learn war anymore. It describes how they'll be, um, uh, you know, only peace on the face of the earth. You won't need a police force. You won't need armies or air forces or navies. You won't need any of that sort of stuff. You won't need a Department of, you know, a family commission. What's it called? DPC? DPC DCP. You won't need any of that anymore. Jesus will be running the whole shop. It says that uh, uh, every man should sit under his vine and under his fig tree, as it were. Verse 28 from the uttermost part of heaven. Verse 28. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree. When a branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So likewise, in like manner, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that it is nigh even at the doors. And uh, Jesus points out here that this event uh, that he's about to describe is uh, nigh. And nigh, it's a really strange Greek word. It's the word that means squeezed. Squeeze. In other words, you just try to squeeze out the last little bit of tomato sauce out of the tomato sauce bottle or something or other. It means squeeze. In other words, the idea is that it's as if the whole earth is squeezing out the final event and we get raised to meet the Lord in the air. All the people Hallelujah. I'm all for that. All those in favor say so aye. Yes. Okay. We're all in favor of that. Now, I just want to just briefly skip back to the other two references. I mentioned Mark 24. Oh, sorry, Matthew 24, if you would. Just quickly, I'm looking at my time. I'm very careful. I do have a couple of slides for you. Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verse 29. 29. So, this is Matthew's uh, take on that same discussion. It's like a couple of little different elements, but generally the same gist. Verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. In other words, the. Um, uh, anyway the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give a light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of the heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It's going to be seriously good. And we're part of it by the grace of God. We don't fear Jesus returning. We're looking forward to it. The Bible says looking for." And hasting unto the coming of the day of God, when Christ returns uh, verse uh, thirty one and he shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet, and they shall together, gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree when his branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, You know that summer is nigh, so likewise ye when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors, even at the doors. Uh, over to the Gospel of Luke for a moment, chapter 21. and so you can see what I'm doing, I think. I'm just sort of giving you three different angles on the same discussion here. Luke 21, verse 25, verse 25. There shall be signs in the sun, in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth distress of nations with perplexity. There's a little bit more information. Uh, international distress, stuff you can't solve, and the overpopulation problem, pollution problem, uh, we're worried at the moment, of course, about things like, you know, uh, weather pattern problems, you know, massive storms and so forth. Uh, how are we going to feed the world? Where's all the fresh water going to come from? How come the rich are getting really, really rich and I'm not? Uh, all those sorts of things. That's just a joke. Actually, it's not really a joke, but you know what I mean. And of course, he says here, distress of nations with perplexity. You just can't solve what's happening. The loss of species. I just get so upset with that. You kind of, I mean, I would if I wasn't saved, put it that way. Every day, 150 species become extinct on average. Every day. It's just astonishing, isn't it? Hooray, we're winning. <laughs> really? <laughs> just, just insanity. Um, but, Jesus is going to fix it all up when he gets back. Uh, Distress of nations with perplexity. The massive international debt bomb. You know, my background, I've got a degree in economics. My background is in economics and I can tell you that the world is on a knife edge when it comes to international debt. Now, we've just accumulated a whole bunch more of international debt without even raising an eyebrow Uh, some countries would have gone under if they'd attempted to do the same thing as what Australia did just recently but if it all happened again in two years time I have no idea how they would survive financially just can't imagine it, all of these things distress of nation with perplexity, you're probably thinking go home and take some drastic action, but don't he goes on, I must just continue to read there should be a sign, we've read that verse 26, men's hearts failing them for fear and looking after those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of heaven shall be shaken. We're really getting a bit of a message there, aren't we? And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads for your redemption, draweth nigh. Uh, It's a great instruction, isn't it? And he spoke to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you shall see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. And without spending too much time on it just there, did you notice that all three of those descriptions of the end of the world finish off with, have a look at the fig tree. Interesting. Um now I uh can we have the first slide up, please? I was looking at my garden the other day. In case you're wondering what that is just there, I'll give you, give you a close-up. I got my first fig for the season. And I think, the fig tree. Oh, yes. Um, and there's, in the Bible, this is what I call the fig tree prophecy. It's in the middle of all this prophetic stuff. And a fig tree looks fairly innocent, doesn't it? Fig trees. Go back to the book of Jeremiah, if you will, chapter 24 for a moment. Jeremiah 24. The Lord showed me, and behold, two baskets of figs. They set before the temple of the Lord, after Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away captive Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and the princes of Judah, with the carpenters and smiths from Babylon, and brought them to from Jerusalem and brought them to Babylon. One basket had very good figs, even like the figs that are first ripe. I will point again to my tree over there. First ripe. He says, Um, and the other basket had very naughty figs which could not be eaten, they were so bad. Naughty back in 1611 at this translation was actually, it meant uh, evil, it meant evil or rotten. Rotten would be a good modern word for it, rotten rather than naughty. Which could not be eaten, they were so bad. Then said Lord to Jeremiah, what seest thou, Jeremiah? And he said, I see figs, the good figs, very good, the evil, very evil, that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah, whom I have sent out of this place to the land of the Chaldeans for their good. For I'll set mine eyes upon them for good, and I'll bring them again to this land. I'll build them and not pull them down. I'll plant them and not pluck them up. I'll give them a heart to know me that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I'll be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. And as the evil figs which cannot be eaten, so are the evil. Surely thus says the Lord. So will I give Zedekiah, the king of Judah and his princes and the residue of Jerusalem that remain in this land and them that dwell in the land of Egypt. I will deliver them to be removed into all the kingdoms of the earth for their hurt, to be a reproach, a proverb, a taunt and a curse in all places whither I drive them. And I'll send the sword, the famine and the pestilence among them until they be consumed from off the land that I gave unto them and to their fathers. Uh, So we see this story about figs and you're possibly thinking to yourself, well, it's an interesting parable that the prophet gives about figs. But there's no other parable about figs in the Bible. And when we look to try to decode what that little message is that Jesus gives at the end of those three references to the end of the world, behold the fig tree, uh, look at the fig tree, behold is Edo in the Greek. It means to to behold or to look at, to perceive, to notice, to discern, turn your mind to pay pay attention to and be skilled in. It means all of those things. So be skilled in what this fig tree is. So we look to decode the story because a lot of these prophecies have little codes hidden elsewhere in the Bible. And the only one associated with figs is this one. And who are the figs in this story? Trees in the Bible are often national groups, uh countries, sometimes cities. In fact, if you look in the book of Ezekiel, I think I worked out there's something like 10 different trees there uh, defining a, you know, quite a number of different groups of people. Uh, the cedar of Lebanon defines not only the house of David but also is an Assyrian description. Uh, the vine tree or the grapevine, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The willow tree, the olive tree, the chestnut tree. It talks about how he brought down the high tree, he exalted the low tree, he made the dry tree to flourish. All references to nations and peoples and groups of people. Tree is a very common theme in the Bible, describing a group of people. And the figs here are clearly only one group of people, the people of Judah and all the people said. You read about it, if you notice, back in uh, verse uh, 5, I will acknowledge them that are carried away captive of Judah and so on. Across the page again, if you will, I'll turn to chapter 29 where he describes here again those Jews which were unprepared to follow God's instructions. They fled to Egypt and elsewhere and he kept on calling them naughty figs and bad figs and so forth. And there's another repeat of that prediction down here in Jeremiah 29 verse 16. Know that, thus says the Lord, the, of the king that sits upon the throne of David and all the people that dwell in this city, in other words the Jews that were left, and of your brethren that are not gone forth with you to the captivity. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold I will send upon them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, or make them like vile figs that cannot be eaten, they are so evil. I will persecute them with the sword, with the famine, with the pestilence and will deliver them to be removed to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse and astonishment, a hissing and a reproach among all nations whither I have driven them because they have not hearkened to my word, says the Lord, which I sent unto them by my servant the prophets, rising up early and sending them, but you would not hear, says the Lord. So there's a, a prediction in the Bible of, of, of what can only be described as massive uh, trouble and persecution for those uh, uh, that half of the Jewish population in Jerusalem there who refused to comply with God's instructions, the other half good figs. That half naughty figs, very very naughty. Um, over if you will just for a moment to uh, Jeremiah chapter forty, because I just want to point this out, because you're possibly saying to yourself, well, hang on, it says Judah a lot there, but it doesn't say the Jews. But that is where the word Jew comes from. Jeremiah 40 is a good example here. Down in verse 12, just one verse here. Verse 12. Even all the Jews returned out of all places whither they were driven and came to the land of Judah to get a liar to Mizpah and gathered wine and the summer of fruit every much. So the Jews are the people. Judah is the place. Does that make sense? In the, in the Hebrew, I think it's Yehudi and Yehudor from memory. Uh, it's just the Jews. It's all the same. So back again to our little story, if you will, for a moment. Mark chapter 13, verse 28. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When a branch is yet tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you in like manner, when you see these things come to pass, know that it is near, even at the doors. Uh, So we're told here to learn the parable of the fig tree. Uh, learn, of course, to appreciate, to grasp, to take it in, memorize it perhaps, to learn it. So you're learning about it and taking good notice of it because it's attached to the story of the end of the world and the return of Christ. Now, we saw a moment ago that the figs in biblical terms in representation sense were the Jews. Now, the Jews did, in fact, wander, persecuted and hunted the world over from countries all over the world for century after century after century. In the late 19th century, they had a vision to try and go back to the land of Israel, the famous Zionist movement. Uh, And they achieved that. Uh, The British came on board and agreed that they would actually help them to establish their own state, the state of Israel. And finally, in uh, 1948, in May, the state of Israel was established. So if we're looking for a pretty good... possibility, and I'm not being dogmatic about this, but a pretty good possibility for what this whole story means about the fig tree starting to blossom again and send forth its shoots and send forth its branches and so forth. You'd have to say the state of Israel if you look at the references in Jeremiah is a pretty good fit. It all happened in 1948, which to you and me looks a long, long time ago. That's 72 years ago, isn't it? That's a long time ago for us. But I'd have to point out to you that the last 150 years has been chock a block with Bible prophecies that have come to pass one after another after another, sometimes several in the one year. So 1948 is kind of slotted in amongst all of those. The State of Israel became established with a lot of pride and determination. Uh, after World War II, of course, you see the dates down the bottom here, uh, massive, massive, uh, oops, sorry, massive, massive um, uh, immigration from all of the West European and East European countries down to Israel here uh, as a result, of course, of the persecution during World War II, uh, arriving on ships and boats and what have you. Sometimes they would arrive by aircraft, as we see there, LL Airways. Uh, on other occasions they would just simply launch ships into the sand and all just jump off and run into villages. This went on for year after year after year. 1945, 46, 47 and also 48. Uh, As there was a massive, massive growth in the population of Jews in the land of Palestine against the wishes of the Arabs. The Arabs have been complaining for decades. Didn't do much good. The British were trying to direct the Jews up to Cyprus, known as the Cyprus solution. Couldn't hold them off. They just kept on arriving and arriving. Uh, After Israel was declared, the hundreds of thousands of refugees and also hundreds of thousands of Jews from all over Europe simply pushed their way into Israel to bolster the population and so on. But it, the problem was, the antagonism with the Arabs was so great that very quickly wars broke out. And there's a classic sort of Western Australian headline, Middle East braces for war, Israeli strike. Um, I don't know if you noticed just recently, Donald Trump, The Israeli Prime Minister was very unhappy that he was uh, deposed there. Donald Trump's been the best friend Israel's ever had. (laughs) Um, He furthered the acceptance of the West Bank settlements. I'll point that out to you in a moment. He also agreed with the annexation of the Golan Heights, that lump of Syria on the top right corner of Israel, which the Israelis took over back in the 1967 war. Uh, they've annexed it, and he just said, ah, oh, look, forget it. We've been asking them to give it back for years and years. Forget it. They can keep it. And Israelis were delighted. So much so that they named one of the suburbs up there, Trumpville. Um, the removal of the U.S. embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. You put your embassies where the capital is, don't you? Think about it. All the embassies in Australia, where are they? They're in Canberra. We're all happy about that, aren't we? Absolutely. Politicians, diplomats. All in Canberra, best thing in the world that could have ever happened to the country. In Israel, it's Tel Aviv, or it used to be Tel Aviv. The Americans have now put theirs in Jerusalem. Why is that important? It's signifying that we accept Jerusalem as your capital. And uh, that is big, big trouble. The Arabs are furious about that, of course. Uh, but every American president has tried to help with the wars over there. The various Arab factions, Hamas and so forth, All they they just get upset time after time after time, as this continues to happen. Oh yes, ongoing clashes with the Palestinians uh, reaching breaking point over the last 70 years, resulting in wars, actual wars, with all the Arab countries uh, immediately after 1948, and of course the big one, 1967. But there's been, I think, something like 14 wars between Israel and somebody nearby. Uh, war after war after war after war after war after war. You're getting my point. Why? Well, think about it for a moment. You've got Israel, a tiny, tiny little country, no bigger than sort of Perth to Margaret River, long, and from the ocean to say the Darling Escarpment wide in most places. Tiny little country, and it's, it's an, like an island in the middle of an ocean of Arab and Muslim countries, and of course others who have different views as well, to the north and so on. And it just is a source of massive hostility as a result of that. Um, That's a photo I grabbed today. Israel is blooming, said the caption, and so are her people. And I guess when we talk about the fig tree blooming, that's probably a reasonable summary. It does seem to be blooming, doesn't it? Uh, I realise that in America most so-called Christian groups are very pro-Israel. We're neither pro or against, we couldn't care less. Not interested in politics. But what we are interested in is what happens in Bible prophecy, and this appears to be a little plank of Bible prophecy happening in front of our actual eyes. Back to Mark chapter 13, if you will, for a moment, or Luke 21. We'll go there instead. We're just coming to an end now. Luke 21. I guess I wanted to just alert you to the um, the principle that those three chapters we read: Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13. They've kind of got two parts to them. They've kind of got from where Jesus is in 30 AD up to the massive war with the Romans and the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. So the destruction of Jerusalem marked the end of the beginning. And what I want to point out to you is that I suspect that the fig tree story that Jesus kept on telling everybody to have a look out for actually marks the beginning of the end. It, it provides the seed for all the trouble in many parts of the world, and uh, there's no backing off from it. There's no kind of there's no negotiating any of this. It's it's very very entrenched positions. Arabs, Jews, and so on, and of course the Christians, nominal Christians, get involved all over the world. And what it does make me think is, I reckon the world's coming to an end someday soon. I don't know when it's going to be. Maybe it won't happen for another five hundred years. That's fine. I'm relaxed about that. But maybe it'll happen in about five minutes' time. You won't even get your coffee. I don't know. But what we are taught in the scriptures, and go to Luke 21 as we just finish up here this evening, uh, verse 29. He spoke a parable saying, Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now night hand. So likewise, here when you see these things come to pass, know that the kingdom of God is night hand. Uh, Verily I say to you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Verse 34. Heed to yourselves. He says, I want you just to make sure that you're looking after yourself, that you've got your eyes focused on what really matters, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting. We don't use that word very much anymore. My margin says that is overeating. But I think possibly a, a better um, translation in modern terms it might be overindulging. Being part of the, you know, the world community that just overindulges, you know, uh, I won't go into the details, but you know what it's like. Uh, with surfeiting and drunkenness. Drunkenness there just simply means drinking. We don't drink. Christians don't drink. All the people said, uh, we don't need to. I'm happy anyway. Uh, surfeiting and drunkenness or drinking and the cares of this life. Uh, there are certainly all sorts of stuff that arises in this life. You, you're worried about losing your job. You maybe go to the doctor and he says, oh, I've got some concerns there. You might have to go to a specialist. And you start worrying about that. Maybe the next door neighbor's getting upset with you. There's more cares of your life. Maybe your daughter-in-law is giving you a bit of a, uh, well, a nice present for Christmas. I mean, all these things start to happen in your life and you start to get a bit flustered by them all. They all seem to overwhelm you a little bit. He says, don't let them overwhelm you. You can have dramas, that's human nature. But the Bible teaches us that, he says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And all the people said. He says, I'll be a shield to you. I'll be your strong tower. He warns us over and over again to, to run into the strong tower, run into the Lord. When stuff happens, pray. He says, be instant in prayer. As soon as stuff happens, get down on your knees and say, oh, I've got to have a prayer about this. Have a pray, seek the Lord. He says, take heed to yourselves. Don't be overwhelmed by these things and the cares of this life. And so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. He says, it's going to be like a massive trap that suddenly springs and the whole world will not be ready. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that you've come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man and all the people.